Hello and welcome to the We'll Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington, a spirit-led, affirming, beloved congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, growing closer to and more like Jesus for the sake of the world. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Today's message blends two different readings from the Bible, each in their own way, point us to the amazing grace of God and a call to a difficult but rewarding way of life, the way of Christ. We'll start with a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, picking up the story in verse 24. Uh, then we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, bonus coverage of the original story of manna in the wilderness is in Exodus chapter 16. I've included all three of these readings in my transcript, which you can access here at the Will Preach for Food website. But let's hear what God has to say, and then I'll leave you with some food for thought and a couple of takeaways. We start with John chapter 6, beginning at the 24th verse. Please open up your Bibles to John 6. And let's take a deep breath and pray. Speak to us, God, for you have the words to eternal life. Amen. John chapter 6, beginning at the 24th verse. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, this is a continuation of the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. That part of the story is recorded earlier in chapter 6. Now it's the next day, and the crowds are looking for Jesus and his disciples who'd gone on to the other side of the lake. They find him, and then they try to be all nonchalant about it. They act all surprised to bump into Jesus. Oh, what a coincidence. Imagine the odds. Well, when did you get here, Jesus? Jesus doesn't buy the act for a second. He knows they were hoping for a repeat performance, another free lunch, maybe an encore of the water-turned-to-wine miracle that they had heard about. He tells them, if you're here for a free lunch, you really don't get it, and you're just wasting both your time and mine. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness— As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, never mind that he had just given them such a sign, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, the very day before. But in verse 32, the story continues, that Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is... the the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us always this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's as if Jesus said, funny you should bring up the whole manna and bread from heaven thing. 
It's a great way to understand who I am, he tells him. After all, manna was the bread of God that came down from heaven that gave life to all the people of God. It fed them, kept them sustained in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Jesus says to them, you might say that I'm the new manna from heaven, the bread of God, the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, giving life to the world, food that endures to eternal life. Now, what follows this reading is a continued effort on the part of the crowd to grasp what Jesus is getting at. Eventually, they begin to understand that Jesus is not just putting himself on the same level as a great Old Testament hero like Moses, but rather putting himself on the same level as God. Well, by the end of the chapter, most of the crowd is backed off. This whole notion that Jesus both provides eternal life and is eternal life, well, that's a little bit more than they could <clears throat> swallow. By verse 67, Jesus turns to Peter and the other disciples, asking them if they're going to jump ship too. Lord, to whom shall we go, they respond. You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe that you are who you say you are. And frankly, we sort of kind of don't have a plan B. You know, Brenda and I have been married for 32 years now. When either one of us is feeling inadequate for the needs or the desires of the other, there's that moment of vulnerability, that voicing the concern that, you know, someday she's going to give up on me. Someday he's going to give up on her. The blessing of 32 years together is the commitment and, frankly, the desperation we both feel. (laughs) Neither of us has a plan B, and neither of us wants one. We are all in. Brenda and me, to each other. That's how Peter is with Jesus, all in, burn the ships, no turning back. Which brings us to the reading from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul starts chapter 4 with this phrase, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul, the writer, is another one who's all in on Jesus. I'm a prisoner for the Lord, he says. A prisoner of Christ Jesus, he calls himself back in chapter 3. Now, tradition has it that Paul here is referring to his being under house arrest in Rome. All of his preaching and organizing had disturbed the peace, as it were. It's about 60 AD, scholars say, and he's writing this letter to the church he started in Ephesus some years earlier under house arrest in Rome. That said, I also wouldn't put it past Paul for him simply to be using the term prisoner as a metaphor, a hyperbole, much the way he describes himself elsewhere as a slave to Christ or the least of all the apostles. Either way, the phrase suggests this image of being bound to, tied up with, under the supervision of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is his ball and chain, or maybe it's the other way around. Paul, like Peter, is all in. He has put all his eggs in the original Easter basket, if you get my drift. It starts and ends with Jesus. Can't I just be a good person and keep out of God's radar? And the answer is no. All of the creative and saving work of God, reconciling all of creation, justifying us by grace through faith apart from works of the law, 
the demonstrating of the transformative love of God on the cross for us and for our salvation. This puts Christ Jesus, the risen Christ Jesus, at the center of creation, at the center of the message. Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, the secret sauce. Paul has been captivated, literally and figuratively, by the gospel. For him, for Peter, for so many of us, Christ Jesus is captivating, compelling, the cornerstone for life, both now and in the life to come. And sometimes people start to object at the idea of such an exclusive claim like Jesus is the living bread from heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. The fact is that countless folk over the centuries have walked away from Jesus for any number of reasons. I know hundreds of people, including close family members, who have taken a hard pass on Jesus. And I wish them well, and I, I hope it works out for them. All I can say is that as for me, like Paul, I'm all in. Like Peter, I've got no plan B. So Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love that phrase, live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now remember, the gospel is relational, not performative, right? I'm called to a worthy life, a Christ-like life. That doesn't mean I have to be Christ-like in order for God to love me. Rather, I pursue Christ-likeness because God loves me. I want to be a worthy husband, a worthy dad, a worthy pastor, because of what God has already done for me in Christ. Because I love my kids. I love my wife. I even love my church. Well, what makes a life worthy? It starts with character. It starts with conforming my character to the character of Christ. And Paul identifies three or four characteristics of the character of Christ to begin with. You want to start the Christian walk, the first step, become completely humble and gentle, patient, and bear with others. I'll say it again for the record. The Bible gives explicit, clear incontrovertible instruction for the basic character of the person being formed in Christ. And these are humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with others. If your faith, if your gospel is not fostering Christ-likeness in your heart and in your mind and in your words and in your life and in your actions, then you are not following Christ. And the same goes for church, Paul says. Church should look like Jesus too. Make every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this doesn't mean we agree on everything and always get along, but we make every effort to do so. And we do that, he says, by focusing on what we have in common. One Christ, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Creator. If your church is not fostering Christ-likeness in your congregation and community and nation and world, if your church is not pursuing peace, 
If your church is not pursuing unity, then it's not being faithful to Christ. Now, the next chapter of uh, the next section of this chapter reads a little clearer if you just sort of skip verses 8 through 10. So that's what I'm going to do. I, I suspect in 8 through 10 that Paul started going off on a tangent, then thought better of it. In any event, verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then verse 11 continues. So, Christ gave himself, the, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This list is sometimes called the fivefold ministry gifts list apostles, prophets, te- evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The list is not exhaustive, but it's representative. You can kind of think about it like a personality inventory, like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder. And it's fun just to kind of consider, which one are you? Are you an apostle? Apostles are the entrepreneurs of the church, innovators, risk-takers, the venture capitalists. Are you out in the front, taking chances, wondering what you can do for God? You're an apostle. Prophets are the conscience of the church. They see injustice and they burn with the need to name it and do something about it. Are you one of those people that is always seeing what's wrong and and calling on people to do something about it? You're a prophet. Maybe you're an evangelist. Evangelists are the the recruiters, the extroverts. They're the ones who just want a whole bunch of people. They want to throw a party. Let's round them up and bring them in. Are you an evangelist? Or pastors, shepherds is the other way. Um, pastors and shepherds, these are the caretakers, the caregivers of the church. They work behind the scenes. They nurture, console, encourage. They tend to the group dynamics, make sure everybody's got a cup of coffee. Everybody's getting along with each other. Are you a pastor, a shepherd? And the fifth one is the teacher. Teachers have a passion to help people to learn and grow and reach their full potential. Maybe you're a teacher or a pastor, shepherd, an evangelist, a prophet, an apostle. Again, there's many other gifts that are out there, but but this is a, a sample of the types of gifts that God gives us to be shared. They're shared, we're to share them to equip one another for works of service to build up, to edify the whole church, to promote unity, to promote knowledge and maturity, um, the fullness of Christ, to become more and more like a Christ-like community of faith. Paul concludes, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Such maturity is not only a blessing to the world, it also serves to help keep you and me and the church on track. I mean, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? 
Here's the thing. If you are pursuing the true bread from heaven, the food that endures to eternal life, if you are making every effort to promote peace and unity and find common ground and get along with each other and conform your character to align with that of Christ Jesus, then you just don't have time or inclination to fill your head or your heart with lesser food like talk shows and conspiracy theories and judging other people because of their political leanings, skin color, age, or preferred pronouns. For the mature Christian, it's all about Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. So here are three takeaways for you this week. Food for thought, you might say. The first is this. I invite you to reimagine Holy Communion. Now, often Holy Communion in the church is associated with the Last Supper, with the forgiveness of sins, a foretaste of the feast to come. This week, and then maybe the rest of the summer, imagine the bread and the wine as the living bread of God, manna in the wilderness, a sign of God's provision and love for you. And take it a step further. Consider that we are what we eat, right? So to receive and ingest the body of Christ is to become literally more Christ-like. Imagine and, and, and allow the life-giving nutrients of God <laughs> distribute themselves throughout your body and let your actions and your words grow out of this divine health supplement, this Holy Communion. Second takeaway, pursue Christ-likeness. Pursue Christ-likeness. Again, this is not about becoming perfect or acting perfect. This is about becoming more loving. So look in the mirror. Make an honest assessment of your progress toward Christ-likeness. What's your trajectory? Are you moving in the right direction? Are you practicing humility, patience, and gentleness? Are you bearing with others, promoting peace? Or do you find yourself still getting worked up into a lather about masks and vaccines and pronouns and critical race theory? Is there something that the Holy Spirit is telling you today to release? Is there a relationship that God is inviting you to reconcile? Third, use your gifts. Consider that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image, that you have particular and unique gifts and abilities that you have been given by God to be developed and shared, to build up the church and bless the world. Are you an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher? Figure out what makes you feel strong. Consider the ways you want to use your God-given gifts to serve others. Talk about it in your family or in a group of friends. Make a plan. So use your gifts. Pursue Christ-likeness. And reimagine Holy Communion. Well, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you'll check out our website, www.faithshelton.org, to learn more about the God of Jesus Christ or to get connected to this beautiful and broken, flawed and forgiven community called Faith Lutheran Church. While you're at it, sign up for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the Faith Worship Cafe on YouTube, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other way you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Chaz, for your production work every week. And I leave you all with this blessing. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.